In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you compare the, the different liturgical calendars that the Church currently uses, you'll find an interesting novelty in these days. Um, those who use the, the post-conciliar calendar uh, celebrated St. Veronica Giuliani yesterday. Um, in certain parts of the church, in the old 1962 calendar, they celebrated St. Veronica two days ago, on the 9th. Those of us, rather, who have the privilege of using the Roman Seraphic calendar, the Franciscan calendar of 1962, can celebrate this great saint today. Okay, so the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th. You can take your pick which day you want to celebrate St. Veronica Giuliani. Uh, it might seem extravagant, right? Somebody could uh, feast for three days in a row in honor of this saint. And yet when we get to know her, we, we realize that this is a saint who perhaps is worthy of three feast days in a row. Um, here in America, St. Veronica Giuliani is uh, uh, not particularly well known. Her name isn't a household word. Actually, most, even most Catholics have never even heard of her name, which is pretty extraordinary considering um, the things that were, that were done in her life, the great virtues she practiced, and uh, the great praises she received uh, down through the centuries. Uh, when Pope Gregory the, the 16th canonized her back in the 1830s, he made a very bold statement. Uh, he said that St. Veronica Giuliani was the greatest mystic in the history of the church after the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, that, that, that's enough to just blow your mind for a few years, right? The greatest mystic in the history of the church after the Blessed Virgin Mary. He didn't say necessarily the greatest saint. I'm sure that someone like St. Joseph or St. John the Baptist um, surpass uh, all the other saints in, in, in their virtue. And we think of, uh, we think also of our Blessed Father Francis, who uh, our Lord said to St. Margaret Mary, was the, the saint who had the, the heart most like his own, like the, the heart of Christ. But um, if you accept these extraordinary saints, we, we find that St. Veronica seems to be up there right uh, right near the top, at least. Um, at, at least, um, well, I guess you have to distinguish here, of course. There's the, there's the holiness of the saint. Uh, and then the thing that Pope Gregory XVI was referring to, which was her mystical life. You see, um, if you study the life of St. Veronica, you'll find that all of the, the known mystical phenomena that you'll find in the lives of other saints are found in her. All of them. Um, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, in fact, uh, she wrote a... Uh, she wrote a, a diary uh, under, under holy obedience, first to her confessor and then to, to the local bishop. And uh, in that diary, she, uh, which, which makes up about, six, uh, about seven thick volumes, she narrates the story of her life. And uh, uh, actually, there were two versions of the diary. In the, in the first version, uh, they just kind of let her have liberty to write whatever she wanted. And all she talked about were her faults and her, the sins that she had committed in her life. And, and then uh, the superiors looked at the diary and said, no, no, that's not what we were looking for. You, you have to talk about things like your virtues and, and your mystical experiences too. And she thought, ah! And so they, she had to destroy that first copy. And actually, I don't know if she destroyed it. Anyway, she had to, she had to start over again. And this time they, they commanded her not to leave out the virtues and the, and the mystical experiences. And when you go through this, these seven volumes of her diary, you'll find that every page is, is studied with extraordinary mystical experiences. Experiences which began when she was a child, um, 
when she was just a little toddler uh, crawling around, um, she would become fascinated by, by sacred images of, of Christ and Mary. Um, she wanted her, her family members to lift them up so that she could, so she could kiss the images. And on some occasions, the images actually came to life. Um, and so, and later when she could, when she could walk, she would take seats and stools and things, and she would, she would build a kind of ladder out of them so that she could climb up to the image and, and kiss the sacred images of, uh, especially of the, of the, the divine child our Lord and Savior, as a little baby. And uh, these images would come to life, and, and on some occasions, uh, our Lord would even kiss her back. When she was about seven years old, on one occasion, she was, uh, she was uh, gathering flowers in the, in the garden of her home in Mercatello, uh, just in, uh, in northern Italy. And uh, as she was gathering flowers, a beautiful, beautiful little child appeared to her. It was our Lord. And he said to her one simple phrase. He said, I am the true flower. And from that day forward, she realized that her, her life um, couldn't be wasted searching after even the most beautiful things uh, of this world. Um, she recognized that she had to search after Christ and Christ alone, who is the true flower, the one who is supreme beauty, uh, after, all, after which every other beautiful thing was, was modeled the one who alone is able to satisfy all the desires of the human heart. Uh, St. Veronica grew up to be uh, a very lovely young woman, and uh, so she had many suitors who wanted to, uh, who wanted to marry her. And her, her father wanted very much for her to, to marry as well, to marry some rich or noble young man. And uh, St. Veronica insisted that she had to marry Christ and Christ alone. And uh, finally, uh, at one point, she, she came down deathly ill. And, uh, um, and uh, at a certain point in, in, uh, in their exasperation, her, her father uh, actually gave her permission to, uh, to do what she wanted, to be a spouse of Christ. And immediately, her illness ceased, and she became better. Um, she applied for entrance in the, the Poor Clare Monastery in Città di Castello, uh, in Umbria. Um, it's about a 45-minute drive away from Assisi. And she entered there, and there she spent the rest of her life. Um, I've talked mostly about these mystical experiences that are very picturesque, right? Very, very beautiful, very sweet. But of course, um, you know, the life of the saints isn't filled only with roses. The roses also have thorns. And St. Veronica um, had to suffer a great deal. Um, she, uh, and she, she wanted to suffer a great deal. In fact, she... She took as her model the phrase, more crosses, more crosses. And she's known as the, one of the great penitents in the history of the church. Uh, if you would go to the, to the monastery where she lived, which now is named after her, um, they've got a little museum there in, in the old, right off of the, the cloister garden. And in the museum, they have these various relics. They have, you know, uh, different items that she used, a habit she wore, a cross that she carried around on her back. Um, and they've also got her, her penitential instruments, which are uh, rather frightening things. They're things you might expect to find in a torture museum or something. Um, except she wasn't torturing someone else. She was, she was, uh, she was inflicting these penances on herself. Uh, why did she do it? She did it because she recognized the value of suffering. She recognized that, um, that suffering for the Christian is, is not a stumbling block to happiness but is actually a stepping stone to happiness, in that if you embrace your sufferings with a generous heart, um, it actually wins for you and for your loved ones 
uh, a crown of eternal joy. Uh, and so for the, the Christian who truly loves the crucified Christ, um, there's always a desire to be united with him, right? Um, a husband always, uh, who loves his wife always wants to be with her, to be one with her. A wife who loves her husband likewise wants to be with him, to be one with him, one in mind and heart. Well, St. Veronica espoused uh, a man crucified, and so she wanted to be one with him. She didn't just want to be one with him in his, uh, in his joys, in his simple joys, uh, gathering flowers in a garden. She wanted to be one with him in his passion, uh, in his sufferings. And so uh, she undertook a very vigorous penitential life. And at one point, our Lord uh, crowned all these penances uh, with one of the most extraordinary graces, the stigmata. And St. Veronica bore these wounds for, for, for many years. Um, she also had to suffer various kinds of persecution. Um, early on in her religious life, she was misunderstood by the other sisters. They thought that she was some kind of a fraud. Later on, even the church decided to put her to, to a test. And uh, uh, they put her under examination because some people thought that maybe she was a fraud or a heretic. And, and so she was uh, stripped of her position as novice mistress. And, uh, and she was confined to an isolated cell in the monastery. Uh, she couldn't go to daily mass anymore. She couldn't receive Holy Communion. Um, the sister who took care of her, was, uh, who brought her her food, was commanded to, to treat her harshly as if she were a fraud. Um, and uh, and this, this went on for, for quite a few months, uh, this, this horrible trial. And then um, the, the report came back that after this trial that uh, she had endured everything with perfect serenity. Right? A fraud, of course, who was driven by, by vanity, by, by self-love, uh, would have become all upset at the harsh treatment um, because all they want is, uh, all a fraud would want is, the, is human respect, the love of creatures. St. Veronica didn't want any of that. She wanted, the, she wanted the love of her divine spouse. And ill treatment from men doesn't take that away from us, does it? So uh, when, the more St. Veronica was uh, put to the test, the more she was persecuted even, uh, the more uh, peace and, and even uh, supernatural joy she experienced in the depths of her soul. Finally, uh, when the report came back, they, they recognized that she was not a fraud. She was an authentic saint. Uh, and so she was uh, restored back to her old position. Later, she was even made abbess. Okay. Um, there's a, I think it's important for us all to also to mention St. Veronica's uh, very tender devotion to the Blessed Virgin. Um, a lot of people, you know, take the, the expression uh, ad Jesum per Mariam to Jesus through Mary as meaning that you, you go to Mary, you know, first in your, in your spiritual life, and then at a certain point she leads you to our Lord, and then you don't really think about our Lord anymore. Um, you know, kind of like passing through the gate of a city and then you get to the heart of the city and you don't get back to the gate. Well, St. Veronica's spiritual life shows us that that's completely not the case. Um, in fact, the, uh, the, the more we advance in our spiritual lives, the closer we become to Our Lady. Um, and the, the presence of Our Lady in St. Veronica's life becomes more tangible, more palpable, the holier she gets. Um, she consecrated herself to Our Blessed Lady, and she sought to, to become a living image of Our Lady, and she, she did a, an extraordinary job of it. And, and on one occasion, uh, when our, our Lord periodically whisked her off into, into, into hell or into purgatory so she could do whatever there, and, and uh, on one occasion she was gone for a couple of days. And who was it that came to take her place as the abbess of the monastery? The Blessed Virgin herself. 
um, Our Lady came dressed in the, the habit of a poor Claire um, and took over the job of St. Veronica. And, and the other nuns, could, they could tell there was something different about their abbess in those days, but they couldn't quite put their finger on, on what it was. So close was the similarity between St. Veronica and Our Blessed Lady that uh, they were almost interchangeable. And this ultimately is the, uh, uh, this ultimately is the goal that each one of us, uh, especially as, as friars, sisters, members of the MIM, um, is striving for. We want to become such uh, perfect instruments of Our Lady and such perfect images of Our Lady that if Our Lady were to, to swap places with us, uh, people would have difficulty telling the difference. Um, and so she invites us to, uh, to make a comparison between our life and the life of the Blessed Virgin. Um, in our words, do we have the sweetness, the charity, the meekness of the Blessed Virgin? If so, we're doing well. If not, then we have to ask ourselves, am I living my consecration to Mary? In our, uh, in our prayers, do we have the recollection, the, the, uh, the constancy uh, of the Blessed Virgin? Do we pray unceasingly? Um, or are we constantly thinking about things in the world and only, uh, only with great difficulty do we manage to spend some time in prayer? If it's the former, we're doing well. If it's the latter, then ee, it means we're not quite living our consecration to the full. Um, in short, the people who meet us, are they, are they meeting simply us or are they meeting Mary? If they're meeting us, then poor them. Um, because we really, really don't have much to offer them, do we? At least I don't. I can't speak for you. Um, and so if we want to truly love our neighbor, we have to become merry for him. Um, and so let's, uh, let's pray to St. Veronica on this beautiful feast of hers, one of the three in a row, um, for the grace to become true and perfect images of Our Lady, uh, her own presence, living, acting, speaking, praying, loving Christ, loving our neighbor in this world. If we do this, then we too will inherit the crown of glory in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.